0: Good morning. I'm Chris Williams, and this is Fordham Conversations. Ever wish you could go back to college knowing what you know now? This week I'm talking to people who, in one way or another, have gone back to college. First I'll take a look at Fordham University's College at 60 program, which allows people over the age of 60 to take classes at the university. Then I'll speak with Taylor Harris, who writes a column for the McSweeney's Internet Tendency. It's a website that features humor writing. Her column is titled Big Mom on Campus, Raising Two Kids in a College Dorm. First, I'm talking with Sierra Vernazza, the director of the College at 60 program at Fordham University's Lincoln Center campus in Manhattan.
1: The purpose of the College 60 when it was first started, kind of interesting, the founder's idea, Dr. Robert Adamson was the founder of the program, his idea at the time was that there should be a place where seniors, older adults, or at the time, actually they use the term elderly a lot, could could continue with an active life of the mind. Still be stimulated, still be productive, still find meaning in reading. Um, that was his plan. That was his goal. Really, retirement was all about, and this was his term. Uh, I'll take no credit for this. Retirement shouldn't be about sitting in a rocking chair, knitting, or playing golf all day long. Um, there should be something more to it than that, or taking care of the grandchildren. There should be more in in the fact that people could still grow grow and learn and develop Um, so it's retirement is not the beginning of the end it's just a new beginning so what we have always done here in the college at 60 since 1973 is to offer college-level courses non-credit but where the student is actively engaged where the courses are specifically for them with teachers who are teaching only them so they're not just sitting in the back of a classroom, a regular college classroom, and by the grace of the instructor just listening in. So the courses are developed directly for them. um, So they are the full participants in the class. Most of them already have degrees. A good over ninety percent of our students have college and beyond degrees. Um, so it's, it's not that they're looking to go on for graduate or PhD program. We have now about 300 students. The program started in 1973 with 14 students in one class. By the spring there was so much of an outpouring of interest. The spring of that same year, 1974, they ran three classes, full classes, and it took off from there. and It has, has been taking off ever since. So,
0: so about how many classes per semester do you offer?
1: We run about 15 or 16 depending upon anticipated number of students and also who I have among the faculty and what subject areas students want. Um so and I think uh, in the fall we have 15 courses on schedule and we've we've added and uh, changed some of the subject areas i mean we have always had psychology courses, philosophy courses, literature, art history music history his regular <laughs> regular history um European and american history um and over the years we've added film studies we've added sociology we've added creative writing, which is very popular. We've always had religious studies, theology, Um, we continue to have that, but this year for the first time we're going to be adding a course on Roman history, classical studies for the first time. So we do change and grow as the demand um, dictates and as I have available faculty who can teach this group. When you read literature about the elderly, a term I really don't like, but about older adults, um, there is a lot of literature about the loneliness in in the older years as spouses and family or friends um, are are removed from your daily life. And so it does provide that opportunity um, to socialize, to make friends if you want that, or at least to meet companions to do things with, or even for just the day they're here to meet people to talk to, to discuss the material with, or to talk about the latest, you know, TV show or something in the newspaper. Very, very interested in current events. So that is often topic of conversation, Uh, you know, what's happening with the government or what's happening with whatever issues on the the burner. Um, So it does provide that opportunity. It's a byproduct. It's not the intent of the program. Um, but it certainly does occur, and it occurs for most of the students.
0: How many classes have you taught here? And what I know you mentioned European history. Have you just taught that, or have you t- taught other classes?
1: Yeah, I've uh, been teaching in the College at 60 program as well as sometimes in the degree program, uh, the core uh, core history course on modern Europe, since about 2000. Um, but I've always teach European history, mostly English history, and it's been wonderful teaching them. But truly, they have a background and a depth, so it's not uncommon for them to have read a lot of the material even before the classes even started or had contact with it in some way, Um, which is amazing for a a historian of the 16th or 17th century, you know, Um, to find that you know, yes, they've done a lot of reading and they're going to bring me books about truly history books, about the period uh, that they had on their bookshelves. It's its, it's exciting. It's very exciting to, to teach the group.
0: Next, I spoke with three students in the College at 60 program. They're all retired, and they all live in New York.
1: So
2: I'm Judy Bowman. I live in New York. I live uh, about um, half a mile from Fordham, about 10 blocks walk. I live at um, Central Park, Western 66th Street.
3: Timothy Keene. I went to Notre Dame and then some other schools for my professional career. And I ended up at doing a fellowship at Columbia Presbyterian mm-hmm. here in New York. That's what brought me to the East. And after that was finished, I went to work at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And I worked there for 36 years as directed the clinical microbiology laboratory in the infectious disease service. And I retired two years ago.
4: Margaret Smith Loeb, I'm known as Peg however. (laughs) I was the chairperson of cosmetic and fragrance marketing department at FIT here in the city.
0: So how long have you been part of the College at 60 program here at Fordham?
2: Uh, Since about 2000 when I retired and uh, I was with Citibank before for 30 years and uh, I got my MBA at Fordham so of course when I was looking around for maybe a connection to um, my old life and my academic life, I looked at Fordham and found that a friend of mine had uh, also had been at at, uh, City Bank, was taking a course at the College at 60, and I said, well, that's interesting. It's very nearby, and I'm an alumni, and at the time I was getting an alumni discount, so, you know, um, I looked at the catalog and uh, took a course, and I've been here ever since.
3: Well, I'd heard several years ago about this program, and um, I kept in touch, and I was always going to take a course, but it was you know, during the day, and it, it was a problem as long as I was working. So um, I had my eye on this place for, for this program for a while. And uh, so that's I, I started, uh, I took my first class in the spring of 2011, two, two years ago.
4: When I decided when I was going to retire, um, I started, I, I kept a manila folder. And I cut out any, any articles of things that looked interesting to me that were related to retired activities, etc. And in the New York Times, there was a small article about the college at 60 on Fordham's campus here, which interested me very much because I liked what it sounded like. That's how I found out about it. So I kept the clipping, and when I retired, I, I came up, <laughs> had an interview.
0: So how long before you retired did you see the clipping?
4: Probably, I would say, maybe four or five years.
0: And you held on to it for that long?
4: Oh, yes. I organized in that way. I had a manila folder of things to do when I retire. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So what do you feel that you're, you're getting out of this? Is it something that, do you feel like you're learning? Or is it just a matter of, um, I don't know, keeping busy and meeting new people? Or a little bit of both?
2: Well, uh, initially, I think one of the reasons I came to the College at 60 is having just retired, I live alone, and I sort of missed having the uh, opportunity of just having somebody to sort of chat chat with about, um, you know, new ideas, what's happening in the politics or what's happening in... New York or what's, you know, what's, what's on at the theater or whatever like you used to at the, at the uh, office. And so coming to the College of 60 and you meet the other fellow students and we're all, um, well many of us are retired, some are working part-time, but you have that camar- camaraderie I think. And mm-hmm. so that has been one of the, um, uh, the real joys of the college.
3: I, so I'd seen the class, the class schedule for several years and i'm always looking at it and saying oh boy that that sounds good that sounds good i just didn't you know couldn't work into my work schedule so uh and also yes the uh inter uh the interaction with other people in the class and uh we have some good times and some good humor um i have
4: you know well meaning friends as we all do um, who introduced me to people, but we have nothing in common most of the time. And here, you, you have wonderful conversations, and you don't necessarily see each other outside the campus, particularly. But uh, it, yes, it's it's very, it's a very pleasant experience that way.
0: It's almost interesting because it's almost like college in reverse. Because a lot of us are here to find what we want to do in life and, and to get a job. And for you, you know, you've you're at a, you're done with work, and now you can just focus on really enjoying this material and expanding your mind. Can you just talk a little bit, bit about the benefit of that?
2: Well, I think one of the uh, frustrating things about growing older is you know that the list of books you want to read and the subjects you want to pursue and the places you want to go keeps getting longer instead of shorter, no matter how how much you're running to accomplish all this and reading as fast as you can or whatever. But there's always, you know, you go go through the New York uh, Times uh, book review every Sunday and there's another two or three books you want to read and you'll never get ahead um, but it's a joy of learning
3: the contrast I think is that uh, you know uh, first of all you know 18 years old and not knowing exactly what I want to do with my life and I started out in engineering and I went into science and I did this and that and and it wasn't until really towards the end of my stay there that I at Notre Dame that I I took a microbiology course and I kinda got steered towards infectious diseases and went on from there, different places, you know, and got my degrees. So this is, this is much more exactly what I want at this time in my life.
4: When I went to undergraduate school, I was an English major and I had no idea in the world what I was going to do. Of course, this was, you know, this was in the 50s. And, and we, we didn't think about career kinds of things at that point. Um, I just loved, I loved literature. Of course, I did end up teaching English literature, but that was just a side benefit.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. But I, um, when I'm here, I just take things because I'm interested in them. And, and uh, I, it's one of the things about being retired is that you have, you, know, you, you have that wonderful ability to do as you please for the most part.
0: I'm Chris Williams on 90.7 WFUV, talking about what it's like to go back to college. Taylor Harris got her undergrad degree from the University of Virginia. While she was there, she met her husband and got engaged. She went to grad school and found herself interning at NPR and CNN. But she decided journalism wasn't the right fit for her. A few years later, when she was pregnant with her second child, her husband told her he had an opportunity at their alma mater.
5: We didn't really quite see it coming. He had been a school counselor, and, you know, I think, I'm biased, of course, but I think a really great one, the way that he uh, interacts with the students and all. And so I thought that he might just kind of stay there or maybe go into an administrative role. Um, And he sort of started exploring his options because he had um, gotten his Ph.D. um, in counselor education. And so this job opened up, um, and I don't, you know, he came and interviewed for it. And it was just it was sort of surreal kind of coming back, interviewing to be, you know, have this professor role. Um, we'd always respected our professors so much, and they just seemed older, and um, it didn't seem like it was a spot that we would fit into quite yet, um, but it's really been neat to come back and sort of watch him grow in his career, and I feel like I've experienced a lot of personal growth, and of course the kids, they're, they're sort of in the first years of life, and so they're changing every day.
0: Okay, so can you talk a little bit about the decision to live? um, Are you in an on-campus dorm?
5: I am. So Mm. I'm in a group of dorms. It's called Hereford, um, and we live in one of those dorms. And basically we had some good friends who had also gone to UVA with us who had stayed on to do some graduate work and had lived in one of these faculty apartments for a year. And they had sort of mentioned it jokingly, Uh, I thought when we came back for Paul's job, you know, they said, "Hey, maybe you could live in Hereford and you know, eat at Runk Dining Hall for free." Um, It it worked well for us, and I'm thinking, "Yeah, but you guys were, you know, newlyweds. You didn't have kids. You don't understand." Uh, So I kind of just, you know, we laughed, and I kind of put it in the back of my head. And then the this particular apartment where my friends stayed actually opened up. Um, The professors who lived there for several years. switched jobs and left and so my friend sent us the listing for it and I remember I picked up Paul from the airport he'd been out of town for a conference and he said you know did you see the email that they sent us and I, <laughs> I was pregnant with my second son at that point and you know so Ellie it's a little bit over a year and I'm thinking yeah I saw the email I'm not sure why they sent it to us like I'm glad they think of us but that's not going to work and <laughs> I said, you know what do you think He's like, oh, I think it could work. And I just remember having this moment. You know, I'm sure like your hormones are raging and, you know, your stomach's ever expanding. And you just feel like there's no way, you know, I'm moving into a smaller space with a toddler and a newborn. Um, and so at first I just remember being like irate. And I sort of say in my column, like I was about to drive off the road. You know, you have one of those moments. My husband doesn't understand. He's not the one pregnant. Um, and then, you know, I sort of took some time, thought about it, thought about, things I'd like to put um, money towards, thought about, you know, what my kids could gain from being so close to campus, and really what we could gain, um, kind of going back to, to where we met and even got engaged. Um, and so it's worked out really, really well for us, um, you know, and then I, obviously the column worked out. That wasn't <laughs> the reason why we moved in, but that's been sort of a nice surprise.
0: So in the column, you mentioned that this dorm that you've been living in, you stayed there during freshman orientation. That, yeah, I mean the whole thing sounds so surreal. Does has it, has it has it? Did it feel surreal at first?
5: Yeah, and you know I write a lot about just having a lot to work through. Sort of this, I think a, maybe one of the themes that runs through my various columns is, you know, sort of facing this ghost of who I was. So you you know you, you come to college, you're like eighteen, and I happen to be sort of athletic and thin um, and tan, <laughs> and then. You know, you sort of see yourself, what, 10, 12 years later. Um, And so I, I, I had a hard time kind of coming here, looking around, seeing, like, all these, you know, beautiful girls running and being in tip-top shape and exercising at the gym. And here I am, you know, uh, it's pretty soon after we moved um, to Charlottesville, I got, that's when I um, was pregnant with my second son. Um, So I spent a lot of time that first year being pregnant and sick (laughs) and irritable, but also very seriously sort of dealing with these ghosts of the past, these expectations that I had that, um, you know, maybe I'd graduate from UVA and become a lawyer or a doctor or, you know, work on Capitol Hill or, you know, work for the New Yorker. And those things didn't happen. And it wasn't even that I really wanted them to happen. They were just sort of um, what I saw as measures of success. So I spent a lot of time and and still worked through some of that, but I've reached a better place with it, just kind of looking at my life and being at peace with the decisions I've made and the family that we're building. And and honestly, the writing that I'm getting to do sort of on my own time and, and using my own creativity.
0: You mentioned how um, you're kind of young enough to pass as an undergrad, but at the same time, you're a mother of two. Is it it kind of hard to be caught in between like that?
5: It's getting better. Um, I don't get so many comments that like, you know, one of the comments I got at first when we got here was, you know, how do you go to class carrying that baby around? I had Elliot um, in one of those baby drawn carriers. And it was so important for me to be like, you know, I'm not a student. Um, you know, I had my time here. I'm moving on. I know that sometimes I look and even sound 18, uh, but I swear that I'm not. And then, you know, it kind of flipped, to be honest. When I turned I turned 30 in March, March 30th, it was like my big double birthday. And I sort of went through this other thing of, oh, my God, I'm 30. You know, when you're in your 20s, I feel like you can still sort of like live at home. And, you know, you can be dating maybe if you want to, kind of hanging out late, career switching. And there was something about 30 that seemed like, you know, things have to be cemented. Um, And so now when people say, you know, oh, you know, those are your kids, or oh, you're not a student, you know, then I feel really good. But it was definitely a struggle when I first got here to sort of separate myself from the student body.
0: You eat in the dining hall, right, sometimes? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So what is it like for them to kind of see you and you have your kids with you? Is it strange for you to kind of have to uh, deal with whatever they're thinking about you?
5: Uh, I, I think so. You know, it's become like a, a very cool, fun thing to do, right? To take my kids to the dining hall in a stroller, and everybody kind of knows us and and likes to see them. Um, but there are definitely, you know, I'm looking around thinking, and and how to deal with my own like biases and prejudices. Like, what does it mean that I'm concerned that somebody might think that I'm 18 with two kids going to college? You know, and so what what kind of ideas do I have, maybe? Um, about students who come here in a different situation than I did. So definitely, you know, kind of doing some introspection and then um, also just wondering, again, how they see us. And, you know, and do we fit in here? And then, you know, something else I write about, am I sort of just like, you know, the tag-along in this situation? My husband's the professor. He's the fellow. You know, he's the reason why we're in the dorm in a sense. Um, And so having to make sure, you know, I don't see myself so much as, you know, Hey, I'm just here with my husband and my kids who are kind of trailing along and, you know, eating free dining hall meals, and I don't think it's I don't think it's that way. The more that I meet students and talk to them, um they don't see us that way. They see us sort of as a family, and I think it's healthy to see um a growing family on a college campus.
0: In the column, you write a little bit about being um sort of an introvert, but have you have you been able to make these sort of uh relationships with different students or um maybe the, the students that your husband works with?
5: I, I have, um, and I'm, I'm finding that it definitely takes time. It wasn't like we moved into the dorm and then all of a sudden everybody wanted to be our best friend. Um, it's more like I kind of seek people out on my own terms, so there'll be students that, whether I meet them at the dining hall or um, my husband and I spoke at a campus ministry one night, and so I met students there. Um, I tend to meet people sort of like that on my, on my own terms, or like at Starbucks sometimes I'll meet um, students or grad students. Um, and then I can sort of take my time with it. Because the thing is I do, I mean, I sort of write about this too. I I love people, right? Um, Everybody likes to have friends, I think. But when we go to sort of like big dinners or gatherings um, or, you know, like if you go to some place and you have that cocktail hour, I mean, that scares the living daylights out of me. Like I just want to go, you know run in the car and sit with the kids, Um, and and sometimes even hide behind the kids. (laughs) I'd rather kind of stand behind them and and let them interact with with people if they want to. So I found that, that, yeah, just kind of going up to people. Um, One student I met is engaged, and she just graduated. So I was also in that position. I was engaged as a fourth year and got married the summer after I graduated. Um, And so you find connections like that. Or one student had um, an issue with her roommates and found that our place was a safe place to come and eat dinner and just vent. Um, You know, and that's not stuff I'm going to that you'll see in my column like, you know, then she came over and she said that her roommate was a such and such. Like, I don't think that's my purpose in writing um, about the experience, but it is nice to to make those connections with students.
0: Uh, You wrote a little bit about, uh, well, I just wrote down a quote. You say the University of Virginia is a school built by slaves and attended by slave owners. Have you noticed a certain change in the way race is um, treated around campus from the time that you were an undergrad to now?
5: To be honest, Chris, I haven't, um, and I'm always thinking about how I write about race, right, because on one hand, you know, there's this very serious edge to it here at UVA, especially being a school in the South. On the, on the other hand, there are just some differences between cultural differences and things that you notice between races that are actually really funny and I don't think, you know, should be should should offend anybody. Um, but on the serious tip, I haven't seen a big difference, and so one of the last columns was about, you know, somebody writing the N-word on Beta Bridge, which is sort of this, you know, historic bridge at UVA where everybody writes messages like, you know, I love you, my fraternity is having a party, et cetera, those sorts of messages. And so somebody came and defaced it. um, And my reaction at first was sort of like, here we go again, it's UVA, like... I'm glad I'm not you know twenty years old anymore, and that it it doesn't affect me at much, and then as much, and then I sort of stopped and stepped back and said, "Well, no, there's still something about that that really bugs me. It's just that you expect for it to happen you know once or twice a year, something like that that ridiculous, you expect to see it um, and so maybe I had just gotten a little bit um numb to it, but it it does really still bother me, and now it's that added layer of I'm a mom." And my kids are going to see it, whether we stay here in Charlottesville to raise them or move on elsewhere. Um, You know, they're going to see it just like I saw it sometimes in Ohio. I I do think that the South has sort of this different flavor, um, but I think, you know, you're going to find it wherever you go, unfortunately. Um, And the other thing that UVA is facing that I wrote a little bit about is just the declining number of enrolling African-American students. So when I came here, we were, you know, hovering around 10%, which for me felt fantastic, and we had, like, one of the highest retention rates of of black students in the nation, if not the highest. Um, And so in that way, things were looking up. Um, And now there's this declining number of students. Um, It seems like, you know, you get students who are looking at UVA, but they're also looking at maybe a Princeton or, you know, another Ivy League or just another school that has, like, an endowment um, or can give them more money. Um, And so there have been a lot of conversations on grounds recently and just email chains about, you know, why are we losing students. They're out there. You know, it's not like there aren't qualified people, (laughs) but why don't they want to come here? Um, And so it's a tough thing. I could see if, you know, if my daughter had a chance to go to UVA or Princeton and Princeton was giving her more money, (laughs) that's something that we would have to consider too.
0: So, So does having or does expecting certain instances of racism, does that prevent you from feeling maybe at home at UVA?
5: It's a really good question. Um, I think I probably always have a sense of awareness, but there's all, I mean, the tension in my articles is that uh, this this love and hate dichotomy that we describe at UVA. So it's like, I mean, no, this is a place that I love. I only applied to one college. I applied here early. I came. I was so happy. I met my husband, which I, you know, that wasn't one of my goals coming in to meet to find a husband, but I did, and it was amazing. Um and so, you know, it is home. You know, it does feel, it feels great to be here. But I guess, you know, just like anybody who, I mean, has, I, w- I wouldn't call everybody on grounds my family, right? But if this is my home, you know, you can sort of use that analogy and everybody has things that they deal with in their family um, that they don't, you know, they might not love about their family or about their, their home life. Um, and so I would say the same about UVA. I think it's, you know, UVA definitely has a unique twist, again, in the South, on what that sort of racism looks like as opposed to maybe up north or in Ohio in the Midwest. Uh, But it is home, and I do love it. And I was thinking the other day about a quote, I'm going to butcher it, but from James Baldwin that basically says, I love America, and that's why I feel like I can criticize her so much. And that's sort of like UVA. I mean, I I absolutely adore this place. Um, But if I were to just kind of turn my head and say, you know, I had a great four years, you know, and now, you know, whatever happens, happens. I just I don't think that 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 would be right either.
0: Are there other families on campus who have young children? Like other other faculty members who are living there with their kids or or is your situation sort of unusual?
5: Um so there there are like they don't all live actually on grounds um but two families that were fairly close to um you know they live maybe a block or two from us and they live sort of in faculty housing so they're not you know, necessarily attached to the students the way we are physically. Uh, you know, their buildings aren't, um, but they're there, and they have. You know, one one has two kids, one on the way. One has um, two kids that are pretty much the same age ages as my kids. Um, and so then, so that's been great too to sort of connect with them. They're also very similarly aged to us. So you know, maybe 30s or in their in their um, early 30s. Um, and so sometimes we eat with them at the dining hall, and it's helpful for me to sort of. Talk with one of the wives who right now is also a stay at home mom but has this you know education and has these um you know didn't always grow up thinking she'd be a stay at home mom um, and was a teacher at first and so now you know she kind of is asking herself some of the same questions you know I love being at home with my kids is this what I want to do forever you know is there an outlet for um you know my skills the skills that I gained through through school and so it is helpful to kind of meet with those families and and be 30 again. I saw another quote on Facebook, um, sort of like, you know, I feel like I'm 20 until I hang out with 20-year-olds, and then I realize, no, I'm 30. And so it's helpful to have those people to hang out with to realize, okay, I'm 30 and it's okay.
0: I just want to ask you now about the column, um, because it came about through a contest, right, that McSweeney's was having?
5: Yes. I submitted the first column you'll see on there um, called Sex Is for Babies, um, so that pretty much, I, I submitted that pretty much as it looks now. We made a few changes to it. And then I submitted a few ideas so they could get an, uh, a feel for what I would write about.
0: What was your reaction when you found out that you'd be writing a column for them on a semi-regular oh basis?
5: That would be also one of the, the best days here. Probably, I and mean, this sounds corny, right? But in my life, um, I got the email on my iPhone in the car with the kids. <laughs> um, and I just remember... My husband was home, and I was pulling up, and um, I just he came down to meet us I told him I needed help with the groceries and he um, I just showed him my my phone and he read the email and I mean that was just one of those things like where you just sort of you know you take a nap and wake up or you go to sleep that night, you wake up the next morning, and you're like, "Oh man, this is real like I get to you know I get to do this. I can't believe this happened.
0: My thanks to Taylor Harris for talking about living at her alma mater and her column Big Mom on Campus." Raising Two Kids in a College Dorm. You can read the column at mcsweeneys.net. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. Stay with us. George Bodarki and Cityscape are next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Chris Williams.